Welcome to Fresh Pressed for August 25th, 2020. My name is Gabe. And my name is Andrew. This is a show about music where we talk about new tunes and... <sighs> Genetically related grooves. <laughs> That's what I've got this week. I'm sorry. So folks, for the first time ever, before we started recording, Andrew realized that he didn't have an adjective. And I, I kindly gave him some time to find one. Some time. You gave me like four seconds and then started well, the show. Yeah, well, sometime is more than like the usual improvisational stuff you have to do, which is usually better than genetically related. What? Terrible. Yeah, I don't know. I think it was that weird thing where it's like, if I have to just come up with it right on the spot, like I realize like, oh, I don't have an adjective as I'm halfway through my sentence. I come up with something that's close enough. But I had this weird thing where I didn't prepare ahead of time, but I realized I had 20 seconds of panic instead of half a second of panic. Which and is probably why. worse, actually. Exactly. I, I mean, evidently. Um, I also want to pick a nit with your use of genetically related because, Andrew, yeah. do genetics make a family? No, of course not. I just, yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. So what we were going for was family. Now, however, because... genetics do make both of the families that we're talking about this week. Uh, that, that is true. So, folks, on, uh, I believe, listener suggestion for the first time, yeah. we're going to bring you a theme that is family bands from the 1970s. Yeah, so this is a listener this is a listener submitted theme um, and just a reminder if you have a good idea for a theme you can reach out to us on Twitter or send us an email or if I happen to be having a socially distanced dinner on your back porch and you start listening to and singing along to a thousand fucking 70s pop songs um, you can just sort of spitball with your best friend until you come up with uh, family bands of the 70s, which I will accept as a theme. So those are sort of your three options. Yes, thank you. And not really a reminder that's the first time you've ever said that, but we'll take it. Um, Andrew, <laughs> do we know why there were so many... Like, I do feel like there were more bands made up of family members in the 70s, and certainly of, like, higher levels of fame than at any other point in recent music history, right? Like, obviously, we have big names like the Osmonds and the Jackson 5, and then there are like a majillion little groups that everybody's like, well, I've got a brother and we both like music. So let's make some music together. There's like a phenomenon of like the whole family, like parents are like, hey, kids, we're going to make a band together. Or, hey, kids, you're going to make a band together. But then there's also just like other bands that are just adult siblings and stuff. And be like, hey, like, what if we started a band? I don't know. I mean, I think I don't know why uh, it was such a thing at that time. Uh, in and around the 70s. But it does make sense just on a basic thing. Like if you're someone who makes music and you happen to live in the same household as someone else who also likes to make music, why not start a band? No, I mean, it does seem obvious in retrospect. And this was, after all, pre-Craigslist where you could put out an ad looking for a drummer. Back in these days, you had to actually go find one. And it was convenient, you know, if you could just convince your little brother to play the drums. Many of these bands featured children, as you know, but Andrew and I have not selected uh, children-comprised groups, probably for the better, while I'm thinking about it. Yeah, because kids suck at music. Andrew, what, what family are you featuring today? So the family that I have is, is the Stovall Sisters, uh, with their song, Sweeping Through the City. Oh, the children I've been going for 
Gabe, the Stovall sisters actually start, did start as a chi- as a child family band. Oh, really? Yes. We're, but they weren't at the time of this recording. No. The Stovall sisters as a group is them as adults or or young adults to adults. However, they grew up in a family, I think of 22. That's I read that somewhere and that seems insane to me, but I believe they are 3 of 22 children. So, I have so many questions. First of all, how how um second of all, why <laughs> third of all, who? Why were there only three of the sisters and the, like there's like you had 19 other people here. Why why did you only end up with three who could sing beautifully and competently or were they just three that were friends and or were they the three oldest? I don't know. They were not the three oldest. I don't know exactly why, but um, so, okay. They uh, grew up in Indianapolis with their 19 other siblings. <laughs> the mother of the family, Della Stovall, like was sort of the engine behind all of her kids singing. So they all sang. Uh, the four eldest sisters, none of whom are in this group, the Stovall sisters, uh, were known as the Four Loving Sisters for a certain time. Then they became the Valley Wonders. And then some of the younger siblings joined the Valley Wonders. And by some of them, I mean like six of them. Uh, before that, there was some of those were in a different group of the younger kids called God's Little Wonders. And then uh, in the late 1950s, the whole family moved to Oakland. And it was at that point that these three sisters, Lillian, Nettie, and Joyce, formed the Stovall sisters. Although it also included, for a brief period, uh, the youngest sister, Jeannie. Again, I don't know why it was this group that actually became the Stovall sisters, but um, part of it might be is that they sort of went a slightly different way than their mother intended. All of those other groups were sort of straight gospel groups. And as you can hear from this song, it's not so much straight gospel. <laughs> no. Uh, it, gets a, it gets a little more wild, which apparently their mother was not happy about. So maybe these were the three wilder sisters that they wanted to do something a little more uh, exciting. Yeah, I do see how this music is slightly closer to the devil's music than... Right. No, but um, this music in general, is they're still very religiously oriented. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I think every single song in this album is about Jesus, ultimately. Yeah, it does seem that way. It does seem that way. So did they only put out one record, or was there other... Um, I think they have other records that it's it's hard to find, but this was sort of the... I mean, this was like the Warner record. Like, this was the big one, you know? Yeah, this was on like a major label. Yeah, they had some other, I think, more gospel-y stuff, but this is the one that really knocks it into the gospel R&B kind of crossover. Uh, the song that I brought is Sweeping Through the City because it's just so good. It really is. It's a spectacular song. Um, just from the very opening instrumentals. Yeah. I, like the guitar and the claps at the, at the, at the front. You're like, it's, that like comes on and you know the song is going to be a jam. Yeah, I mean, that's true for most of the stuff on this album. Um, interesting thing, Gabe, you said during the intro, like, ah, it was before Craigslist. Uh, actually what these, what the Stovall sisters did when they wanted to start their band, 
they were living in Oakland and they had the three of them. They weren't singers. They weren't, uh, they didn't play instruments and they clearly didn't play all of the instruments that are on this track or this album. So what they did was they like put around flyers that said like three black sisters looking for a Caucasian band to sing with. And uh, some like Warner guy was like, oh, cool. Okay, great. And then hired them. <laughs> okay. So that is pretty much Craigslist. Um, yeah. <laughs> certainly in the analog version. That is what Craigslist is emulating. Yes. That's pretty cool. did a lot of backup singing studio singing and and um like tour backup uh for all kinds of people whose names you know like i don't know the staple singers bobby womack al green parliament funkadelic sam cook creedence clearwater revival etta james bb king earth wind and fire should I keep going or was that good? No, no, no. I, th- I do think we get the point. That is a, a remarkable, like, played with list. Oh, lastly, uh, they were one of the many, many iterations, very briefly, of the Ikeettes backing up Ike and Tina Turner. Oh, wow. They do really perfectly bridge on this song that... Um, the, the like the Motown song uh, sound that had really developed in the late 60s and early 70s fully developed um and older gospel style yes yeah. uh, the lyrical content is not necessarily about falling in love with somebody as uh, so many motown songs are but rather of course about jesus um and also the vocal style kind of is in between though the the backing is very contemporary for that time period yeah motown style with, with the rhythm section and kind of those fundamental bass sound I got to say my favorite part of this song is, and my favorite part of them as a group, which is obvious, their singing and their harmonizing is is what makes them amazing. But my favorite moment in this song is that I won't be back part. <laughs> yeah. The So there's, I believe it's Joyce or Rejoice who is the, the lead on this song and most of the songs. Uh, I'm not certain about that, but from some like articles that I've read that sort of talk about their relationship to one another, it sounds like it's probably her. Um, and so it's the other two, Lillian and, Net- and Nettie, who are um, harmonizing in the back. And it's just so good when they do that, I won't be back, I won't be back, no, 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 where it's in harmony and then it cuts to uh, unison on the nose and it's just perfect. Which is one of those things, this is another thing about having a family band, Gabe, is that your, like, chemistry as musicians and the, is, is great because both, I mean, you know each other really well and you can sing with each other a whole lot from an early age. You know, you develop that understanding of one, of one another both personally and musically so early and so continuously. That harmony just sounds perfect. Yeah, in addition to just like the like emotional chemistry and musical chemistry built up over years of being together and singing together, there is something to be said for these people do share the same 
like genetics. Yeah. <laughs> and their voices are similar timbres, even though they sing in slightly different ranges. And it just makes things blend so well. Yeah, it's like the perfect combination of slight differences and many similarities that we've talked about before in like lyrical content, for instance, that brings like some delight into music, both surprise and also comfort. I picked the other major 70s uh, style of family band, I'd say. Well, maybe not the only other, but one of the others, which was disco. Yeah. This is Cuba from the Gibson Brothers. So the Gibson brothers were comprised of uh, Chris, who is the lead singer, Patrick on the drums, and Alex. Um, Their last name is not Gibson, though. It's Frankfurt. Okay. Or actually, Frankfort, maybe? Because they are French. (laughs) Okay, great. Um, So they're from originally from the French Antilles, uh, Martinique in particular, but they moved to Paris um, when they were fairly young still with their parents um, and kind of wove their way into music together um, and just like naturally settled on these roles in the group, um, you know, in which all three of them sing, but um, there's one dominant vocalist and the other two are instrumentalists as well. For whatever reason, they decided to name themselves the Gibson Brothers after the guitar. Yeah, I was going to ask. That's sort of the only thing I could think of. <laughs> yeah. But... Um, yeah, they were just like, well, we thought the guitar name really evoked a musical quality, so that's what we'll do. Well, yeah, it's the name of a guitar. I mean, fair. A very famous guitar. Very, to be, yes, to be fair. Um, there is also, for people looking for the Gibson Brothers, should be aware that there was a later duo of the same name that appeared, but they're white and they play bluegrass music. So slightly different so i just think this is a wonderful example of like 70s disco blended with caribbean influences yeah i was gonna say the name cuba is not just the title of the song but in fact an important component of the sound of the song yeah absolutely the whole like musical aesthetic really does wrap itself up with Latin percussion and Caribbean percussion and that sounds um, and kind of the dance sound of the Caribbean, which is obviously a really major genre that emerged from that part of the world, right? We still think of Jamaica as the home of dance hall and right, this is Cuba and, and they're from the French Antilles, different places, but still important culturally, um, that kind of resounded throughout the islands in the area. 
they released a number of songs, not really so much an album format because this was disco after all. So a lot of things were just released as like singles. Um, the original version of the song is like seven and a half minutes, which is what we'd associate with like a contemporary EDM track because they're intended for the same purpose, right? These are dance tracks. They're meant to go on for a little bit longer. Right, exactly. They also released a couple other smaller hits, but this was kind of the one that uh, made their name, and I think for good reason. It's so catchy and danceable, and there's like these great horn sounds, like Latin horns and keys. Chris Frankfort's vocals, like he has this like really resonant baritone with a delightful vibrato. It is very evocative of that particular era in musical history. Um, Andrew, there is also an amazing music video really of this song that i would recommend our listeners check out it is um just the three brothers on some like sound stage wherever <laughs> with one scantily clad female dancer um and great none of the brothers can really dance at all <laughs> like they're pretty bad and they're kind of awkward but they're like smiling the whole time it looks super weird and fake uh but it's great and it's you also like understand where like you look at like the music from the late 70s and it explains like all of the music in the 80s also you understand (laughs) the whole aesthetic this is like the proto version of that now uh the gibson brothers didn't write this song andrew no they performed it, they recorded it, but it was written by a fairly well-known duo that was writing a lot of disco music for other musicians. By That went by the names of Vanguard and Kluger. I don't know if you're familiar with either of these people. No, that sounds um, kind of scary. <laughs> they do kind of sound like uh, a French and German villain. Yeah. Coming together. Anyway, uh, but this is going somewhere. So... Vanguard is, um, his actual name is Daniel Bangalter. Oh. Who has a son whose name yeah. is Thomas. Uh huh. Who is he's... half of the French punk, or sorry, French. Oh! <laughs> Shit, yep. I no, ruined you it. You spoiled it. <laughs> you ruined Darn it. it. <laughs> <laughs> the, the French electronic duo, Daft Punk. Yeah. Which one is he? That one or the or the other one? Uh, he's the other one. Okay, I'm fairly sure. <laughs> anyway, so there you have a there's there's the through line of French dance music from the 70s to modern day. I have one more sadder thing to say about the trio, which is that unfortunately Patrick, the drummer, passed away in April, um, in Paris, uh, but otherwise, yeah. Um, they released a big hit. They were fairly iconic. They were still like sort of involved with music throughout the rest of their lives. And they had done some re-releases and reissues and, and like worked with other artists on remixes of their music kind of in the last 15 years. And yeah, one more song to dance to.
Gabe, before we move on to new music, I just want to I just want to throw out a, a quick honorable mention. I know that this is not standard protocol, but um, you and I both came across a band that technically fits the theme in that they were a band of people related to one another and that they were uh, most of their output is from the 70s. But I think you and I can agree that they don't really fit the spirit of the theme. And this is a uh, band called Death, which is like a they're they're like a proto punk sort of rock band. Um, they're really really good, and I love their stuff. But I in the end I was just like I know that this is not what our listeners meant when they submitted this theme to me. No, it probably wasn't. They are considered. I was doing a little bit of research because I almost I almost wanted to bring them as well. Um, they are considered in some circles to be like the first punk band. Yeah, I mean that makes sense to me. It's it's very it's very punk, but also in like a there's there's still like a lot of classic rock and rock and roll sort of influence to it, you know? Yes. One, two, three, no! There was just so much good music this week, Andrew. What did you select from amidst the cornucopia? Uh, The song that I have brought is entitled New Sublet, and it's by Runner. Always repeating Cutting my teeth on Atlantic beaches gone Now, Runner, that's with three N's, of course, just as, just as it sounds. Um, it's the songwriting project of uh, Noah Weinman. There's some other people who get involved in it. I don't know actually who else is on this recording, um, but it's primarily the project of Noah Weinman. Now, Gabe, um, I've been looking forward to this all day. Uh, do you want to guess for me where Noah Weinman went to college? I mean, I assume he went to college where I went to college, by the way you're asking. <laughs> Close. But no cigar. He went to Kenyon College. Oh. Were you there at the same time? Yeah, but we overlapped a little bit. He's like two or three years ahead of me. Yeah, so he went to Kenyon College, and then um, he put together this band, Runner. He is a singer, obviously. Um, He plays guitar, and he also plays trumpet. I imagine he may also play other instruments, but I don't know. Those are the instruments that I know that he plays, because I've seen him play them. And they are also present on this song. Correct, yes. Um, Andrew, when I first saw the song, I wanted to make some joke about what about the old sublet, but it turns out. And then you looked into their, you looked into Runner's back catalog and found out that there is a previous song entitled Sublet. That is a part of a a series of songs that he's doing. It's the second song of a three song cycle, apparently. Oh, really? Yeah. The first one being Sublet? Right. Weird, because Sublet was from like a a previous EP, 
and this is just released as a single with some other singles in between. I just thought it was important to bring up because the two songs share a lot in the way of sound with each other. It does feel like they're meant to be appreciated next to each other to some degree. Right, yes. So that, I think one of the distinct sounds on this track is um, the way it begins with that just sort of like metronome, like beep, boop thing that's happening. Um, and yeah, that is also is that? present on sublet. I, it's, you know, it's just some electronic thing. It's, it sounds like literally like a, a, like a click track choice. Yeah. Um, and then obviously the content of the songs are similar. Like we said, uh, Noah plays trumpet and there are some really great horns on this song. I think not only trumpet, but they're also very much reverbed and, and affected, uh, that really give it that, you know, you know, the classic indie horns quality. It really is astonishing and so wonderful to hear the trumpets come in alongside the banjo. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't expecting it the way the song started out. It seemed like extremely, just like kind of uh, vaguely sad, mellow indie. But the addition <laughs> of the the banjo and trumpets is really, really nice. Yeah. I mean, I think that this is maybe not the right comparison, but like what it reminds me of in terms of indie song that also includes trumpets and and banjo in sort of this uh to reference an earlier episode sound burrito kind of manner uh, as it reminds me a little bit of freelance whales you remember that band absolutely deluvia great album yeah but i really love the sound that that brings uh to this the, the warmth and fullness that the horns bring and then the dimension added by the banjo as well <laughs> On a similar topic to a lot of runners music which is sort of you know 20 something existential ennui yeah um which is i mean a genre that i very much love <laughs> and uh what i like about the way this song is structured lyrically is first of all the title's new sublet which sort of gives you a a lens to look at the whole song through. So you get an idea of like, ah, maybe he's just moved in somewhere. Maybe someone who he's been living with has just moved out. Some, you know, there's some sort of that sort of, again, evoking the 20 something existential ennui. Um, Most of the song I would say is pretty impressionistic or um, I don't want to say pointillistic because that's not right. What I mean is like, it's sort of fragments that come together to make a full like experience that's understandable, even though there's not necessarily like a plot. You know what I mean? I absolutely do know what you mean. Although it feels like towards the end of the song, those ideas crystallize to some extent. Right. So that's exactly what I'm getting to. There are all these sort of like fragments and it's not like even in complete sentences. So you sort of let this all this sound kind of wash over you um, and the, the uh, sort of connotations of each of these little phrases. 
And then at the end, there's sort of a, uh, I'm going to call it a couplet um, of these last two lines, which is, it's really, it's more than, it's more than two lines I'm realizing now, but it's sort of two thoughts. (laughs) Yeah. But it's, and it's much more concrete and it's, you're drunk on the internet, looking at prices of places uh, in cities you don't live in and you've never been. You're just getting addicted to starting all over again. It's a couplet where the first line's really long, I guess is what I'm saying. But the point is that that's a very concrete thing. You're drunk on the internet looking at prices of places in cities you don't live in and you've never been. That's like, okay, now here's an exact direct image for you to latch onto. And then a more macro, like, (laughs) psychological explanation or analysis of what that moment in time means. Uh... And it also links back to the name of the song, New Sublet, which I think after hearing that, my mind at least goes like, oh, okay, New Sublet is is like on the screen. He's like looking at a, a thing that's like, hey, New Sublet, there's this thing, blah, 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 blah. Um, and that sort of puts the entire song into a context that I think, like you said, really crystallizes uh, the emotion and the connotations that have been building up throughout the whole song. I actually think impressionistic was a great word for it because the first half of the song feels like you're looking at a painting, but really up close. Yeah, exactly. And then you take like a few paces back at the end and oh, all of the pieces fit into place. Yeah, right. It's like that first line is your first step backwards and you're like, oh, this is a painting of a guy who's drunk on the internet looking at prices of places and cities he's never been and he's never whatever. Uh, And then you take another (laughs) step back and get like the meaning of the painting. It also makes the song really great to listen to a second time, like immediately afterwards. Like I listened to it first. And I was right. Like, oh, oh. And then listen to it again. So it's like, if we're going to continue <laughs> this metaphor, it's like then stepping back in close to again, see all the brush strokes. <laughs> yeah. And then you step back again and then you step forward and then you step back. All right. It's another song to dance to. <laughs> Sitting drunk. messaged me on Friday to let me know to listen to a particular album and lo and behold here you are having chosen a track from that album yeah I wasn't sure but I listened to the album and was like this is really good yeah I, I don't know why I like, you weren't sure it's real good well you know there was another like 36 hours until we were going to record so I figured maybe I should listen to some of the other music before settling however I have to say that this album from Nubia Garcia titled Source is truly a delight and this is one song off that record named Inner Game. So, 
Andrew, if this were, I think, any genre other than jazz, mm-hmm. I don't know that she would be an allowable pick on this show. She's sort of a big deal already. Just not a lot of people listen to jazz anymore. Right, and certainly like contemporary jazz, even fewer. Exactly. And you know, this is this is jazz. It has some other elements to it, but it's not like like Leanne Le Havis, for instance, who has a lot of jazz in her music, but is not jazz, right? But she's made some big waves. Um, she is part of a wonderful and growing burgeoning British jazz scene based out of London. So uh, that kind of contextualizes some of the other music and you may recognize some of the artists that she's worked with. So primarily she's a tenor saxophone player, um, although she's a very accomplished flautist as well. And she's a band leader and she's done some DJing. Um, She's originally from Camden town in London. Her parents are from uh, Guyana and Trinidad. These like, Caribbean, South American influences have penetrated into her music, definitely. And she's spoken, um, there's a great interview with the New York Times, she's spoken about how she's taken these kind of disparate elements of an American art form, which is jazz, that is really based out of one particular like conception of the African diaspora and tried to translate that to her own personal experiences and those of that diaspora that exists in London, for instance. And you can hear that in a variety of the songs of this record, right? She has a song that's based off of Cumbia, for instance. Um, There are songs that are based more off like traditional dance hall grooves from Jamaica. So um, she's worked with a number of great artists. Um, Drummer Moses Boyd, who put out a great album this year. Shabaka Hutchings, who put out a great album this year. Makaya McRaven, who uh, (laughs) also put out a great album this year. Um, She also played flute on two songs, Andrew, from one of your favorite albums of the year, Mm. um, which is the Moses Sumney record. Ah, yes. She plays the flute on both Virile and... Um, two dogs oh yeah um you know she also has two other groups um that she kind of leads as a band leader called nariha and maisha but this album source is like her real first full-length solo effort but you know she's basically interacted with every major jazz musician in britain and has, yeah, major musical influence and worked with a lot of really important, um, diverse artists. Andrew, I picked this song, Inner Game, because... I think it shows off her, particularly her melodic skills as a saxophone player. I think a lot of contemporary jazz has strayed um, more towards like free jazz and very abstract art forms within jazz. But her sound reminds me, honestly, closer to like John Coltrane 
um, for another saxman player or like a miles davis of like the kind of blue era where he was more focused mm-hmm. on melody rather than like the rhythms of bebop you could hear it in her playing like she's very intentionally laying out notes kind of slowly and beautifully and in a, in like a very comprehensible way um, it doesn't require like some lengthy background knowledge of jazz to listen to her music to, to get like real enjoyment out of it which i think sometimes contemporary jazz strays that way like uh you need to have listened to all these other people if you really want to get this i don't think that's true in her case no i don't think so either The other major point that I wanted to play off this song is that the interplay between her playing and the rhythm section is phenomenal. Yeah, I actually, I mean, I did at some point listening to this album figure out that she was a saxophonist. (laughs) But like, I mean, the album cover doesn't have usually on a, a lot of times on a jazz album. The album cover will have the person holding an instrument. And this time it didn't. So I was like, who is this person? I don't know. Um, so eventually I did figure it out, but like you're right in saying that she's not just a saxophonist, but she's also a band leader because this song and a lot of other songs have a lot of great chemistry between the whole group. And it's not just, look, here's the saxophone backed up by these people. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, so just to give names, the the drummer is Sam Jones. Um, the upright bassist is Daniel Casimir and it's Joe Armin Jones on the keys. It feels like they've spent days, weeks playing together, like consecutively. Um, there's just such. Did you look into whether or not they are siblings? Maybe this is a family band of the of the of the twenties. No, I did look into whether or not they're siblings. It turns out that they're unrelated. They just are very good musicians, so they were able <laughs> to do this without having to spend their entire young life living together. Jazz is like a lot about being able to read the other musician's space, like to know where they're going with their sound, whether that's as a rhythm. Yeah, all, jazz is all about this. Is all about the notes that you haven't played yet. Yeah, that was famously said by um, which jazz musician was that? I think it was Louis Armstrong. You mean Neil Armstrong? I'm sorry, Lance Armstrong. You're right. You're right. <laughs> um, but they they. Uh... They know exactly when to play like little hits or little riffs in between the other musicians solo and when sort of like play up the like the drum hits um, or the bass line and really how to interact. Um, They recorded this whole album in like two days in the studio, which is incredible. Um, Not that unusual, I suppose, for jazz, but still feels ridiculous. Um, They basically just sat down and were like, all right, let's uh, play this song like three or four times and see which one we like the best. Andrew, what what else were you listening to this week? 
uh, I do feel like there's there's two big albums that we should maybe mention at the top. Definitely. The first of which is Bright Eyes. Happy Bright Eyes. Yeah, Happy Bright Eyes. Um, do you know what the album title is? I didn't write it down. And it's like Down it's in really the cool. Weeds, Where the World Once Was. Thank you. Very good. Uh, down in the Weeds, Where the World Once Was, um, sort of the return of Bright Eyes. We can thank Phoebe Bridgers for that. I think we actually can, right? Like that's I'm, yeah. I was <laughs> that's like it's it sounds not funny, but like it's completely true. Uh, really, like the the resurgence of Connor Oberst is doing no small part. And I think, I mean, I think he has said in interviews, like meeting Phoebe and becoming friends with her and and collaborating with her completely changed a lot of things about his life. Yeah, and I thought it was great. It was I thought it was like a a return to form, which is refreshing when it's a new album from a band that's been quiet for a long time. Yeah, it's a really good album. Everybody should check it out. Give it a full listen. Um, And then the other one is, of course, The Killers, Imploding the Mirage, which is the most Killers album title I've ever heard. Um, I was initially surprised by how much you enjoyed this because it always felt like their style was not really up your alley. But after having talked a little bit with you about it, I think I understand a bit more. Yeah, I I love this. I have not listened to Killers since. I didn't even listen to all of whatever that a- album was called. I only listened to the song Human, and that was the last Killers thing that I've heard. Um, I would not in any way call myself like a, a... Day and age. Day and age. A Killers aficionado. Like, everyone knows Hot Fuss. It's the best album ever created. And then <laughs> and then there was Human. No, you And then there was album. like a decade. I know I did. <laughs> Samstown is also And there was a decade. Uh, and then, and now there's this. And I thought this was great. I, I have nothing to say. I can't really say anything about like Return to Form because I had really have not listened to a lot of Killers outside of uh, what I just mentioned. But this was fucking great. And yes, Gabe, you're right. You would not expect me to be as into this as I am. But you underestimated uh, my uh, love for Bruce Springsteen, who figures heavily on this album. Not as a performer, but as someone who could have written pretty much any of these songs. Yeah, I mean, you could listen to Thunder Road and then any and anything off this, and you'd be like, oh, yeah, it's the same artist, right? Just slightly different vocalist. Yeah, it's just like it's a, a few decades later. It's like more, there's, there's more electronic elements to it. That's all it is. Yeah. There's more glitter. Which for a band from Las Vegas versus new jersey perhaps that makes sense <laughs> yeah it really does they are the vegas springsteen um there are a couple other albums i wanted to mention as well uh cut copy like kind of dancey indie stuff that came out with their new record called freeze melt there's a great album from bully if you like kind of like punkier sounds called sugar egg um and a record from um no joy titled motherhood that is about exactly what it sounds like and is wonderful and big sounds really good i just want to mention a new uh recording from room full of teeth which is Mm. a very talented vocal ensemble uh they actually i think they had two releases come out one that they were a part of and this one that it's uh just a vocal uh piece uh by michael harrison called just constellations it's a pretty cool piece uh listen to it to fall asleep on saturday and it was nice um, and then there were a bunch of singles that I was really into this week as well. There's a new Lumelda single, and I'm sorry I mention this every time a new Lumelda single comes out, but I'm so fucking excited. I think her album comes out on the 4th of September, 
And Gabe, I'm going to, I mean, I'll bet you $10 million that I will be picking a song from that album when it comes out. I, yes, I'm not taking that bet. That will happen. (laughs) And there's also good stuff from Tom Berlin, Angel Olsen, Dirty Projectors. Um, There were two new songs from Father John Misty. The first of which, 2S, I really, really enjoyed and almost picked. has a similar sort of vibe as uh, the Runner song that I did pick, uh, but with uh, very reverby strings instead of horns. Anyway, that is our show for the week. You can give us a follow on Twitter at Fresh Breast Pod. There's a Spotify playlist with all our selections from the show over the past year plus. Oh, not year plus, year um, on Spotify. Year minus. And uh, we'll be back on September 1st, I believe. Yeah, September 1st with um, more tunes and more grooves. But for now, I'm Gabe. I'm Andrew. And you've been listening to Fresh Press. Fresh Press.